You're listening to Canada's Court, your home for all your Canadian basketball needs. Here's your host, Philip Drost. Well, as of the time we are recording this conversation, the Toronto Raptors are 14-7, and coming off of a six-game win streak and then a loss to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Kyle Lowry is stroking it from behind the three-point line, and DeMar DeRozan is showing the NBA that the mid-range game isn't dead. But just 21 games into the season, and there's a lot of questions. What's going to happen at the power forward spot? Can the Raptors make it past LeBron James and the Cavaliers? And what on earth is going to happen with the Sacramento Kings call? Here to help me break down the Raptors and what to expect this season is a man who sits courtside at the Air Canada Centre. No, not Drake. Raptors play-by-play man Matt Devlin. He's been with the Toronto Raptors since 2008. And Matt, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. And uh, just to start out, before we dive into the Raptors, uh, let's talk about you for a second. What brought you to Toronto back in 2008? Well, at that time, I was living in Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, uh, the Toronto Raptors reached out to me uh, through a a good friend of mine, Carl Shear, and uh, that was, you know, when Chuck Swirsky had decided to go to the Chicago Bulls, and uh, so that was actually on a Wednesday by uh, Thursday and Friday, I was uh, speaking with them on the phone, and uh, then on that Sunday, flew up, met with everybody on Monday, and that really started the process in the summer of 2008, and it's been a great nine seasons. This is my ninth season, and have three boys that have grown up here in Toronto, so it's just been a great blessing. What intrigued you about first coming to the Raptors? Well, you know, I had been, you know, in the NBA. I started in 1999 with uh, NBA TV, but you know, certainly a background that was full of, you know, all three, you know, football, basketball, baseball uh, at the major league level, at the minor league level. Um, And I thought that it was just a great job. Everybody uh, that I've spoken to, I had known and worked with Jack Armstrong in the past and, you know, knew Leo Routens and also had some family here in Toronto uh, as well as in Peterborough. And it was always one of the cities that I enjoyed coming to. Um, And it's, you know, a top three market in North America, just actually surpassing Chicago. Um, And it's, you know, a place that, uh, you know, I really enjoyed uh, when I visited here. And then also when uh, we decided that, you know, it was a place that we wanted to look at. My wife and I, you know, came up here and it was just, you know, just a great fit. And I think that that's always, you know, one of the most important things in life is, you know, is it a fit or not? And it certainly was. Did you feel you were stepping into big shoes at all? Because Chuck Swirsky had been there for quite a while. Yeah, you know, Chuck had been there for 10 years. No, I didn't. Um, You know, at that time uh, of my career, you know, I had, you know, worked in a lot of different uh, areas, worked in a lot of different capacities, had had the great honor of doing, you know, Major League Baseball, filling in for Joe Buck and, one of my first breaks was filling in for the legendary Jack Buck on KMOX radio, uh, had announced NFL games and was, you know, fortunate enough to also do the NBA on TNT, filling in for Marv Albert at times, and then also having the opportunity to do uh, postseason work. And, you know, when you, you know, take over a job, uh, 
that somebody had been there uh, for a while prior to you. You know, you all you can do is ultimately be yourself and do what you do because there's a reason why they hired you. Um, and so you, uh, you just kind of take that approach to it, and that's the approach that I've taken. Um, and you know what? It's been great. The Raptor fans have been, you know, phenomenal to me. Well, uh, I can personally attest that uh, when Chuck Swirsky announced he was leaving, I was personally a little bit nervous, but you you made that a, a pretty smooth transition. Well, thank you very much. So you said nine seasons now. What's it been like watching this team develop? Because it's they're a very different team than they were nine years ago. Well, they certainly uh, are and were and, and, and were and are, actually. And, I mean, when you think about where they are today, uh, compared to when I started here, it was, you know, some 17 games into my first season that Sam Mitchell was let go and Jay Triano was elevated to the head coach. And, you know, of course, you know, we've seen the growth and development of this roster uh, through Dwayne Casey's time here and his six seasons now. And uh, Brian Colangelo, you know, drafting DeMar DeRozan, Terrence Ross, Jonas Valanciunas trading for Kyle Lowry, and then Masai Ujiri, you know, taking the uh, Andrea Bargnani uh, contract and situation, turning that when he came in, and then also, you know, the big move of Rudy Gay and how that ultimately changed the franchise and how they've been able to go on just an unbelievable tear. And uh, it's been wonderful to see. It says a lot about Masai and Dwayne, and, and certainly says a lot about uh, DeMar DeRozan, who has been here throughout, who re-signed in the offseason, um, and has been really one of the foundations to the success of this team. So you spend a lot of time uh, around these guys and seeing these guys every day. What's the culture like around this organization? Well, it's one of business for sure. I mean, this is an organization that I think takes its lead from, you know, players like DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. And DeMar DeRozan is somebody that whether it's uh, 10 o'clock at night on an, on an off night or 1 o'clock uh, in the morning after a game, he's in the gym putting up extra shots. He has a tremendous work ethic. And then you notice what Kyle Lowry does on the court and how he is just uh, someone that is, you know, going a hundred miles an hour all the time and willing to take charges and uh, willing to take the big shots. And so, you know, the tone is certainly set, you know, by those two. And I think that people, uh, people specifically the players, you know, follow that. And, you know, as far as the organization itself, it's a first-class organization. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've had conversations with people about that. I know that having been with Charlotte and also Memphis, you know, how they treat the players and how the players travel and where they stay. And, um, you know, all those things are, you know, really among the elite of the NBA. And then uh, when you look at, you know, the Raptors as a whole, I think it's truly, uh, you know, speaks also to, uh, the fan base, you know, the fan base, wherever we go, there is always someone, uh, you know, waiting, you know, outside of a hotel or in an arena, you know, that is, you know, following the Raptors. And uh, it's just a tremendous fan base. Now to the season at hand, it started with some bad news 
foot surgery for Jared Sollinger, who they signed in the offseason. How much of a, an impact has that had on the season? Or because he wasn't around last year, has it really not been as much of a factor? Well, I think it has been. I think that we've found that out in the, the three times that you know the Raptors have played Cleveland. And I think we've you know certainly you know understand the loss of him uh, when you take on a Golden State and also even the two Sacramento games. Uh, so to me, uh, certainly, you know, not having Jared Sellinger, watching him in the first preseason game, you know, came away with 10 rebounds, uh, fit right in. Uh, I think it's, uh, you know, a big loss because he can play multiple positions, Phil. You can put him at the five uh, if you wanted to go, quote unquote, smaller. Um, you know, he's mobile, uh, plays the four, uh, can step outside you know, shoot the three. We know he has a knack to rebound the basketball. So all those sort of things, to me, is something that you would have missed. And and I think despite the fact that the Raptors uh, are right there in the second spot in the Eastern Conference and they were tied yesterday for the first spot uh, with the Cleveland Cavaliers prior to that third meeting between the two, they do, um, without question, they miss him. Uh, and, and I think that it was a great... Uh, off-season acquisition by Masai Ujiri. Uh, but unfortunately, um, you know, he was injured, and now you have to kind of wait. But through that, is there a silver lining? Yes, and that silver lining is Pascal Siakam in the fact that he's going to be able to, you know, continue to grow and learn uh, in a very competitive environment. I'll tell you, it's like you read my mind. The next question on this list was, uh, "Does it, is there a silver lining here because Pascal Siakam has been uh, playing so well? Well, certainly. I mean, that is the case. I mean, Pascal Siakam, you know, is somebody that's a 27th overall selection, uh, you know, out of New Mexico State. He's extremely active. He's energetic. And he's somebody that I think, you know, is going to have a long career in the NBA, um, and he's somebody that fits right in. And why does he fit in? Because you don't have to run any plays for him. Um, you know, he's somebody that's going to go get a rebound. He's going to do his best to guard, uh, you know, his responsibility that night. So uh, for me, uh, you know, that to me is the silver lining. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like he's much of a rookie, to be honest. When he's making plays out there, he seems confident. He seems like he's, he's been doing this for many and many a year. Well, you know, certainly, you know, having older brothers that played NCAA basketball has been a benefit to him. Uh, and he's learning, you know, on a day-by-day, you know, basis. And, you know, it's a lot of film work and a lot of, you know, listening to the veterans on the team. And he's great like that. And uh, it's really been a phenomenal situation for him to take advantage of. And, and he has done that. And, you know, if you talk to the coaches, yes, does he miss defensive assignments at times? Of course, he's a rookie. Uh, But those are all things that at the end of the year, it's going to be a benefit that uh, he is, you know, getting those minutes because uh, he's going to be better in game number 82 uh, than he, you know, was in game one, two, three, you know, or 20 for that matter. And what have you heard about uh, Jaron Sullinger's recovery? Well, that's a, you know, they're really, you know, he's in a boot right now after the surgery. So, uh, you know, it's something that is, you know, definitely, you know, not going to, you know, it's not going to be any news. I don't think anytime soon, you know, on his uh, timeline of return. But, 
you know, we see him, you know, at the arena and he's got a boot on and it's, you know, he isn't even at the point and understandably so of, you know, having that boot off and, and, you know, putting a, a, you know, a basketball, lacing up a basketball shoe yet. So it's going to take some time. Now uh, on to the Kings. It kind of makes me cringe to talk about. But where are we at right now? I know the Raptors filed a, a complaint with the league or a, a question with the yeah. league about that call. What, what was going through your mind when, when you saw that was that shot was overturned? Well, I was, you know, curious, I think, just like everybody else as to, you know, why uh, they decided to overturn it. Uh, you know, I understand that uh, it was, you know, because they felt that time expired before he released it. However, how do you penalize the shooter when he's just going off of the clock uh, that is in front of him? And that's what Terrence did. So, you know, at the end of the day, it, it boils down to two things. Do you, as we've seen many times, do you go back and readjust the clock and run the play over, or do you send it into overtime? Um, and they did neither. Uh, the NBA, uh, you know, they said that it left his hand too late, and so that, you know, that shot doesn't count. Um, you had a certain amount of time uh, to file. It was roughly a week, but that was right around uh, U.S. Thanksgiving. Uh, specifically business days were uh, a part of that. So the Raptors, uh, I think it was 10 days you had to file it. That obviously did not include uh, U.S. Thanksgiving. So that actually became like 12 business days because of that Thursday and Friday in the U.S. that aren't uh, working days. So um, they on the 10th day of when you could file it, they filed it. Um, and then, you know, the NBA has roughly – uh, you know, weak to respond. So we're still in the holding pattern. What What are you expecting? I'm expecting the NBA to ultimately um, turn down the appeal and say that the ruling on the floor stands. But I do think that it will be a discussion uh, when, you know, the general managers get together and coaches get together uh, because, you are essentially, as I mentioned before, Phil, penalizing a shooter for releasing it late. However, mm-hmm. he's going off of the shot clock and the clock that's in front of him. And so, you know, there has to be something where you can say, okay, let's do a do-over, you know, um, or uh, something along those lines needs to be discussed because, Ultimately, the end result wasn't, I don't think, the fair outcome. And I'm not saying that the Raptors, you know, could have won that game, should have won that game. That game, to me, with the Raptors giving up 36 points in the first quarter, it was remarkable that they had an opportunity to tie it at the end um, because they allowed way too many points, you know, early in that contest. But, you know, there they were. They had an opportunity Uh, To tie it, unfortunately, the clock started late, uh, and upon a review, the bucket was nullified. Now, this seems to feed in. I mean, for years, Raptor fans have been saying, it's us versus the NBA. I mean, we the North kind of came out of that. It was Canada versus all the other uh, 29 NBA teams. Do you think Raptors fans have a, a bit of a right to feel slighted sometimes here? Well, sure. I think it's any fan base's right to feel that way. Uh, but there are other fan bases that feel that way for sure. 
um, as well in the NBA. Um, and, you know, typically they're smaller market, mid-market cities uh, that kind of use that as a rallying cry uh, in games. And Sacramento certainly is one of those as well. But, you know, for, you know, Toronto, I, I understand why, you know, that fan base uh, feels that way. And, and sometimes uh, it even helps a fan base grow uh, because you, you know, have a rallying cry. Uh, to stand behind. And I think, um, you know, that is beneficial in the growth of a fan base. You know, it's us against the world. And I think that, you know, coaches try to create that. And I think it's easier when you're in a place, you know, like Toronto, because you are the lone NBA team that is in Canada. And you've become, you know, not only Toronto's team and Ontario's team, but Canada's team. And I think the players relish that as well. They like the fact that it's us against the 29 other teams um, and that it's, you know, us against the rest of the NBA. And I think that they uh, wear that with pride. And uh, as you mentioned, that is certainly uh, part of the We the North. Now, uh, one of the best of those 29 other teams, the Cleveland Cavaliers, Raptors have already had to play them three times so far this season. And, each time it was a Cleveland Cavalier win. Or as the way the rosters stand right now, is Cleveland just a, still a step above the Raptors, or is there something well, they can do here? Well, I think. Look, they have LeBron James, and and as mm-hmm. we know, the last six years, um, if you're an Eastern Conference team and you have LeBron James, you're getting to the NBA Finals. <laughs> 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 yeah, and, and and whether you're in Miami or Cleveland, if you have LeBron, you're you're headed to the finals. So he's that good. He's the best player in the game. He can play five positions. He can guard five positions. Uh, I really think that he's at the stage of his career too, where you know he is, you know, such a willing passer uh, that he's somebody that, uh, and he's always been like that. But he wants to see others involved, and it's what you ultimately uh, watch early on in games. He tries to get Kevin Love involved. He wants to get Kyrie involved. He doesn't want to shoulder the load early on, uh, and only really when he has to do that is when you see him do that. And so, you know, that was one of the things that, you know, I noticed last night immediately, Phil, was that, you know, here we go. He's Yes, he had that dunk early to make it 6 nothing, but yet it was, all right, let's get Kevin Love going. Let's get Kyrie going. Who else can help me? Because he understands, having been there with Miami and Cleveland, that he can get whatever he wants whenever he needs to, but he needs Kevin Love. He needs Kyrie. He needs J.R. and Amon Shumpert and Channing Frye, and that is part of his brilliance is that he's able to do all of that. So what you're saying is we just need to get LeBron James and we'll be in the finals. <laughs> Easy, easier, easier, as you know, said than done. <laughs> of but course. Is, is that team beatable? It is. They are. Um, they are beatable. Um, but it is also their approach. I mean, look at the Raptors. Took them to game six in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Uh, now, if you go back to last night, you revisit that game. Patrick Patterson had some opportunities at the end of quarters where a shot could have put them up. Uh, you know, instead you go into halftime down one. 
uh, missed some layups. You know, Jonas didn't have a great night. So are there, you know, moments in last night? And I know that people like to talk about the defense, and, and as does Dwayne. You know, but last night was a lot about the offense and, and rebounding. And when you are able to get your offense going and if you can make some shots and make, make the shots that you're supposed to make, you know, that then um, allows your defense an opportunity to set up in the half court. Uh, and if you're able to rebound, it's going to give you second-chance opportunities and it's going to eliminate their second-chance opportunities. So, you know, those are a couple of things that I look at when I look at last night. But are, are the Cleveland Cavaliers beatable? Absolutely they are. And, you know, we've seen that in the past. The Raptors, I know, are 4-11 and 11 over the last 15. Um, do things have to go right? Yes. Um, but I like, I like the compete level always with the Raptors. And to me, that is what is so impressive about them, Phil, that along with the fact that I, I also think that it was great that you took on a Cleveland team that was a little bit upset because LeBron called them out, said that we need to play real basketball, we need to be physical, we need to play uh, you know, our kind of style of ball uh, after having lost three in a row. So last night was a true test, and, and that's what I liked about it for the Raptors. Now, one of the struggles on the uh, defensive end was at their four and five spot with the pick and roll, and the Cavaliers were able to get a, a lot of points off that. Do you think Masai should be patient and wait for Sullinger to come back, or and see how that works, or should they try and make a move to try and topple the Eastern Conference Kings, as you could call them at this point? Well, you know, I think that at this stage you're going to continue because it is 20 games into the schedule. You, you're going to continue to, uh, you know, see exactly the growth of your team and the trade deadline is so far off in the distance right now that I think you, you sit and you assess and you don't panic. And I don't think we've ever seen Masai panic. Um, and you, you take, you know, count of exactly where you are. But that four or five, you know, situation with respect to the pick and roll you know, it's a tough cover for Jonas. And specifically it is, as we know, with Channing Fry. And why is that the case? Uh, it's because Channing Fry stretches it out to the three-point line. And so when you do that, um, it becomes a very difficult cover. And that was a tough cover even when the Raptors had Bismack Biombo. That was a tough cover. Uh, Lucas Nagara has, you know, provided some great lift off of the bench at times. Um, and so that's still a work in progress. So all those sort of things I think are beneficial. Uh, we've seen Norman Powell and we know what, you know, he can do. Um, and, you know, so, you know, just as you look at the roster, you know, Jakob Pertl, uh has gotten some time and has played well uh, for a rookie. Uh, so I think there's just a lot of growth. This is a team that has 10 players that are 25 years or, or younger. So you want to, take stock on everything and you want to make sure that if you do decide to do anything, that it's going to be beneficial, not only in the short term, but also in the long run as well. Now the Raptors are coming off of their best season, regular season ever, their best playoff uh, experience ever. And now we're into another season here. Where where, Where do you think is a realistic expectations for Raptor fans to have right now? 
Well, I think they're a 50-win team. They're ahead of pace than they were last season at this time. I thought that they were a 50-win team uh, coming into the year and going into the year, and I still believe that they're one of the top three teams in the Eastern Conference. Uh, can they get back to uh, the Eastern Conference Finals? Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Can they overcome whoever their opponent? You assume it's going to be Cleveland, but you, you have to finish second or in that mix to avoid them earlier than uh, the finals, the conference finals. So I think it's a race for two right now, unless something happens in Cleveland, unless you know they have some sort of unfortunate injury. It appears as though J.R. Smith, who was injured last night, uh, it's not, uh, which is fortunate for them. Uh, you know, it's not going to be, a, a, you know, an injury that's going to keep them out of the lineup for any length of time. So, you know, unless something like dramatic like that happens, um, you know, I think, you know, the Raptors uh, should certainly, you know, be one of the top three teams in the Eastern Conference. And I know we're very early into the season, but who would you expect to be that third team? Who do you think is going to push the Raptors well, for that two seed? Gonna, yeah, well, we're going to see Boston and. And, and one of the things that, you know, I mentioned yesterday in the broadcast, Phil, was one through nine was separated by four games. I mean, one through nine. I mean, so you, you have – and there was something that developed last year too, Phil. You, you, you have a good week, and, and you're sitting in first or second. You have a bad week, and you, go, you can go from first to second down to nine. So uh, <laughs> every game does matter. Um, and there's still a lot of the season to be played. Boston, who was faltering early, has turned it around. They're in third. Chicago, I think, has been a surprise in the East. I think Indiana, a lot of people felt that they were going to be better. They have yet to put it all together. Uh, so there's so much of the season to be decided yet uh, that it's um, really you know, boils down to have a good week and you're in the mix, have a bad week, and you're out of the mix trying to get back in it. Now, do you have a game in the next couple of weeks that you're uh, particularly excited to to call or to watch? Well, I, I you know every game I'm always excited to to call and watch, and and the reason why is because every night there's something on the line, and and certainly you want to finish your six game homestand, which is going to be your longest homestand of the season. You would love to finish it five and one. Uh, you're going to see Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns on Thursday night and uh, Tom Thibodeau coming back in um, as the you know president and head coach there in Minnesota. Uh, so I'm, I'm intrigued to see that game and to see if the Raptors uh, can bounce back. And then, you know, immediately following that, you head to Boston and you're going to take on a Celtics team that you've yet to see. And everybody felt that they were going to be the main contender in the Atlantic division. In fact, some felt that they were going to uh, be the winner of the Atlantic division this year. So I'm intrigued to see these next two games. And then after that, you have Milwaukee, a team that you're able to handle, but yet they're playing better basketball. Now they're in the mix in the Eastern conference. You have, you know, Giannis Adetokounmpo. Uh, and then you go to Philadelphia. Uh, last time we saw Philadelphia, uh, Joel Embiid did not play, so I look forward to seeing Embiid play. 
so every night I can come up with something, Phil. That's what I like to see. Lots of uh, lots of silver linings here today. Yeah, uh, for sure. <laughs> do you notice uh, you mentioned Andrew Wiggins, and then Boston also has another Canadian, Kelly Olynyk. Do you notice when you're doing the games and there's a team that has a Canadian on it, is there a bit of a, a, a different feel in the atmosphere? Can you tell that they're actually a, a little more excited to see some of these Canadian players are not not as much. As far as myself, or as far as the uh, crowd, the, the crowd. What, what's their their sort of response? Yeah, well, those I think. Guys? Well, look, I think that you know the growth of the game has been tremendous, and I and I do believe. And remember, the Raptors have Corey Joseph, so uh, the, you know he's on the roster. I do think that you know people are uh, interested to see. And you know that, and but at the end of the day, you know, Raptor fans want to see the Raptors win. Um, but I, speaking about the growth of the game, you know, outside of the United States, Canada is number two for players in the NBA. That's going to continue to grow. There's 150 plus Division One players from Canada currently playing in the United States, and uh, so this list of 12 is going to grow over the next five years to 20 plus, easy. Um, and it is really the start of the golden era for basketball in in Canada, and that a lot can be traced back to Vince. And um, and you talk to you know Corey Joseph, and you talk to you know players uh, that were impacted by his presence in Toronto, uh, and it's one of the main reasons why uh, we're seeing that some you know years later, uh, all you needed was you know the ability to watch him on TV or go to the game. Uh, see him and get intrigued by what he did. And, uh, you know, the next thing you know, you're out back trying to emulate him. And now there's 12 players in the NBA, which says so much about their will and drive. Um, And it says a lot about, you know, what he was able to do for the game. And uh, it's just been great to see. Yeah, it's the golden age. It's a good thing I uh, started my podcast when I did. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, normally I would say I'm looking forward to hearing you call the game on Thursday, but for a rare occurrence, I'm actually going to be there live, so I won't have the pleasure of uh, of, of listening to you do call the game, but perhaps maybe I'll just watch it back later and uh, see if I see myself on TV. <laughs> you got it, and, and we certainly welcome you to Toronto, and uh, you, thanks for having me on your uh, podcast and really appreciate it. And, um, you know, certainly appreciate all the support that the Raptors have had, you know, through the years throughout all of Canada. It means a lot, I know, to uh, the team and certainly does uh, mean a lot to Leo and Jack and myself as well. Well, Matt, it's been uh, my pleasure, pleasure having you on. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Phil. All right. Have a great day. That was Matt Devlin. He's the play-by-play announcer for the Toronto Raptors. Any thoughts on what you heard? Do you think the Raptors need to trade now, or should they be patient? You can get in touch with me through Twitter, at Canada's Court, or send it an email to canadascourtpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, if you liked what you heard, give this podcast a rating, and maybe a review, wherever you listen to the podcast. And don't forget to share this with your friends. Have a great day, and thanks for listening.